0: Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host, Joey Klein. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Tech Talk. As always, we have some of Atlanta's best executives at the best technologies in the city. So uh, we are going to start uh, by talking to Nick Santora, CEO of Curricula. Nick, how are you doing this morning? Thanks for having me here, Joey. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to move on to Mark Gorlin with, uh, Rody. How are you, Mark?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Excellent. And finally, Vigil Patel with Cinemedia. Hey, Joey. Okay, gents. All right. As always, we go alphabetically. So Nick, we're going to start with you by company, of course. Um, so what, what, what I like about this show is that I think we have a very nice mix of early stage, um, sort of mid stage, uh, if that's a, a term. And, you know, more established organization. We've got some CEOs who are founders. We have some executives who've just come into their roles. So we're going to have a lot of good stuff to talk about. Um, Nick, I think you are probably the youngest company, uh, on the show right now. So tell us a little bit about what, what curricula does. And then I want to get into your journey and how you got down here to Atlanta.
2: Yeah. Young. I guess we're almost five years old now. So. I guess that is pretty young. Um, in, in in the pantheon of <laughs> yeah. companies it's still young. So uh, our goal is basically to teach companies how to not get hacked. So when you think about kind of all of the things you see in the news and articles about, you know, you know, uh, Barbara from Shark Tank just lost, you know, 400 grand through a business email compromise <laughs> attack. It is relentless for hackers to do bad things and our mission is to not only teach employees how to defend themselves, but do it in a way that's really, really fun, exciting, and uh, kind of make an experience around it.
0: Wait, You have to back up because maybe I should know this, but this seems very recent. Barbara Corcoran got scammed over email. Yeah. Wow. Yep.
2: And the chairman from Domino's just lost like half a million dollars.
0: That's like a one. That's like a commercial for you guys. Yeah. You yeah. Would think. You would think at this point, but. Well, and, and, you know, you, you and I talked about this when we first met, like company hacks have just become so commonplace that we don't even think about them anymore. You know, it's uh, per, perhaps a crude comparison. One is much worse than the other. They become like mass shootings, right? Yep. We we see one and they've become so common and then we just move on. Um, It seems like the cost of doing business in the modern world is you are going to get hacked. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it?
2: Yeah, we kind of make fun of it you know, at this point where, you know, you just keep seeing the new article about whoever got hacked. And, you know, if you look at that, you wouldn't make fun of someone if they had their house broken into, you know, and why do we keep right. doing that? We kind of laugh and, and poke fun. so, you know, our, our goal is obviously to try to reduce that, that stat for the future.
0: You're so right about that. My wife works for Equifax and it, it's a, it's a punchline, you yep. know, whenever anyone asks her what she does, mm-hmm. uh, she was on maternity leave when that all happened. So. <laughs> no blame there. Um, okay. So, so let's back up a little bit because I want to, your, your story is a very interesting one because you come at this from a very non-traditional, um, background. You were not in cybersecurity before, um, you, you got to curricula. So, uh, tell me about where you started on the regulation side.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I was, and I still am really the only cyber expert on the team. Um, so I was from an agency called NERC, which is the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. NERC is a lot easier to say. <laughs> uh, think of them like the IRS for the power grid in North America. So they essentially regulate all of the utilities in North America. So when we flick our lights on, they stay on. And that's kind of an easy thing to say, but there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. And what I did was all of the cybersecurity advisory assessments, investigations, audits on utilities across the country, so I was there for about seven years. Um, it's what brought me here to Atlanta when they really relocated the whole company. And from there is kind of when I kept seeing the problem of, you know, large utilities, multi-billion dollar, you know, revenue, vertically integrated utilities that have tens of millions of dollars of investment on cybersecurity. And when it came time to educating people, it was, you know, Sally or Michael from HR slapping together some PowerPoints and hoping for the best. And that's kind of where the idea came from.
0: Why do you think, and there's certainly still organ, plenty of organizations that treat it like that. It's, um, you know, it's, it's the same way that I think a lot of organizations treat sexual harassment training, right? There is, um, you know, a, a lackluster video or a presentation with someone who's put it together at the last minute. Maybe some it's not, you know, people check their phones, they click through it, they eye roll through it, and then it's done, right? Yep. But this is something really, really serious, right? It costs companies tons and tons of money. Why is this something that so many organizations treat in such a cavalier manner still?
2: It's, uh, you know, you look at the IT departments and it's kind of a joke that they wear many hats. You know, they have to do everything. And by the way, you have to be a professional educator for all of your employees. <laughs> And typically it's kind of a check the box type exercise. And we have to realize at this point, it's no different than the analogy of if I was hired to be the personal trainer for that organization to make everyone a healthy person, if I were to come in one time a year for a half hour and tell you to run on a treadmill in December and then you run on that treadmill, you get off, you eat a salad and I say, you're good. You're going to be fit for the entire year. See you later. You know, I'll take my two grand as a personal trainer. You would say, Nick, you're the worst personal trainer in the entire world, that obviously isn't going to do anything. For some reason, we expect those results out of cybersecurity education. So our mission is to teach employees throughout the year in bite-sized pieces and build upon that progress versus just a -a once-a-year type compliance exercise. They will produce different results no matter which side you choose.
0: Yeah, this is the same discipline that anyone who's trying to lose weight learn a musical instrument, learn a language would use um, in pursuit of a hobby, but doesn't necessarily seem to be applied to something that's critical to, uh, you know, company safety in the modern day and age. Yep. So obviously, I want to get to exactly how you keep up that regimen throughout, you know, uh, the year and, of course, beyond that. But so you were at this regulatory agency, mm-hmm. you started to determine, you know, holes that you saw and what. Was the jump from there, from working in a regulatory agency, which is a very, um, let's call it traditional bureaucratic organization, yep. to saying, um, I'm just going to drop everything and start my own company.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, after I kept seeing the problem over and over and over again, no matter whether it was a small municipal or a large um, you know, publicly traded utility, it kind of just kept dawning on me, why doesn't someone just focus on this? And, you know, there's a couple training companies out there, but it's all the same thing. It's just narrated PowerPoint. So when I looked at that, I, uh, you know, flew home for, for Christmas that year and I was talking to my buddy about it. I said, man, there's a new set of regulations coming. No one has a clue how to abide by these. And I helped write these regulations with the industry and I taught the auditors and how to audit those regulations. So it was kind of a unfair advantage I felt that I had. And from that moment, I said, well, if we just do it, they're going to have to buy something. They have a law saying they have to do it. So whether it's good or not, it's one of those things that it just needs to be done. So whenever you think of an idea or build a business around timelines, regulations, things that are pressing needs for a business, it makes it a lot easier. So from that moment, we just kind of sat around. And I said, well, I'm just going to pull all my money out of 401k and make it happen. So that's what we did
0: and so the the business started as you are focusing purely on these organizations that have to put some sort of security regimen in place because of um you know because of law, but it has grown far beyond that,
2: yep, yeah, that was our um primary focus, and then I'll never forget our first sale was uh at the end of twenty fifteen in our first year, and um they were purchasing the the product that we were making. And on the phone, you know, I said, hey, well, you also have to do this security awareness stuff. Would you be interested? We have that, too. And yeah, yeah. Sign us up for two years of that. Awesome. I hang up the phone and I think to myself, yeah, we just got our first sale. This is crazy. What I realized was we barely even finished the first product. And I literally just invented the second product on the phone with them. (laughs) And we had two months to make it, deliver it. Otherwise, we were for sure going to get sued because they are relying on us for compliance. So.
0: Well, there's nothing like staring down the bale of a potential lawsuit to (laughs) motivate to deliver, right? Yep. Okay. So you didn't get sued. Um, and you were able to deliver and, and, and now that piece of your company, which, you know, was somewhat of a, not an afterthought, but, you know, was, was sort of sold at the end of your first call has really become the basis for your organization.
2: Yep. Yeah. The exact model of that side project flipped into our primary growing everyday business which is used by startups here in Atlanta all the way to the largest fortune 50 companies in the in the world and it's uh, exciting to see kind of the different verticals and industries although they're protecting different data problems and assets uh, they still have to deal with employee education and that's just something that we've really looked forward to is expanding because there's no boundaries for us
0: so the the uneducated um my you know, look at the landscape in Atlanta and understand that we're a really good town for cyber. Okay. And you could probably look at a bunch of different organizations and the headline of their website is that they were, you know, work in this field. And you could think, well, you know, there's a bunch of, a bunch of companies that do something similar. Okay. Um, help the listener understand why what you guys are doing is a little bit different than your traditional cybersecurity organization. And then walk through, you know, Imagine where, uh, you know, organization X with, uh, you know, I don't know, let's call it 20,000 employees across the country. How would we actually utilize curricula to, uh you know, help it keep us safe?
2: Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a 20,000 person company, the IT team, the CISO has a responsibility to educate employees on basic practices of how to defend themselves uh, and meet compliance. So for the most part, you could just write an email that says, please don't get hacked employees send it out you're good that meets compliance right but we all know that's completely ineffective we're just doing it to get through the regulations so kind of if you look at what our our experience turns into is we looked at all the death by powerpoint stuff all the boring kind of nonsense that employees are wasting their time with and flip the script so instead of focusing on just the IT person and their job why don't we actually talk and have a conversation to the employee and make that a little bit more fun than death by PowerPoint. So essentially in our platform, you watch a series of heroes and villains and stories that get delivered almost like a Netflix model throughout the year. And in those stories, those episodes, we call them, uh, you watch characters go on adventures and get hacked. And you learn about different ways that uh, these characters are getting duped in, in certain attacks and learn how to protect against those attacks yourself. Then you start to resonate with those characters and start to, you know, enjoy kind of the whole experience. People use those characters as their Slack icons. They talk about them in hashtags and communications. Um, But then the crux of all of this is, although this is great as, as, you know, delivering content out throughout the year and we supply all that with a very high production value, uh, the biggest component of our platform is our phishing simulator. So essentially it allows you to hack your employees in about 30 seconds and send out a simulated phishing attack to see which employees... May or may not cause the next data breach for your company. So from there, that is lights out, the most eye-opening experience. Because if you haven't done one of those before, you send out an attack. You pick from a variety of scenarios inside of our SaaS platform. Hit a button, the the platform starts shooting out these emails. And when an employee receives an email, you know they can click on it and say, "Oh, this is my um, you know, someone just logged in my AWS account. I'm a sys engineer." They just logged in by AWS from Russia. I'm going to go, you know, block them out, do something like that. And that'll actually have an option where you can even send them to a fake landing page. Like you're logging into your AWS account. Um, So we capture all of that data along the way. And then right at the tail end of it, say, hey, by the way, this was actually a simulated test by blah, blah, blah company. Um, If this was real, this could have been pretty brutal, but we're going to teach you how to defend against these in the future. Um, Now, the big spin that we put on all of this is instead of that boring experience, which isn't really that boring, um, we also put a character in there. So when you get caught by a phishing test, you actually get caught by Dee, Didi. And Dee's our five-year-old villain AI hacker, and she's actually the one sending out these simulated tests all year long. So now, as a community in your company, you're working together to defend against Dee, and who wants to get hacked by a little five-year-old girl ever again? Um, so, yeah, that whole experience kind of brings it all full circle for the employees. Now it creates some memorable experience that um, changes the entire dynamic and culture inside of a company literally overnight after running one test.
0: So uh, IT department is basically able to identify the weak links right. very, um, you know, with essentially complete accuracy and then figure out who needs, you know, a little bit more training um, to not fall for it next time.
2: Yep. And the good ones. So a lot of times we just focus on the people who are behaving poorly and, and focus on hammering them with, you know, uh, remedial training and all these bad terms that are used in our industry. Why not focus on the people doing really well? Like the fitness stars of the world, the super athletes in your company. We want to reward them and show that everyone else can be like them. And our industry has never been focused on this problem in the right direction. It's always been. Negative behaviors and reinforcement of negative behaviors. So, um, work, yeah, focused on the fun side of the, the fence.
0: Sure. Take, take the best practices from the top 10, 15% that you can then use to bring everyone else up to their level. Yep. Interesting. So what, what, what happens long term, right? You know, hopefully if you're uh, successful with a client, you are minimizing the people who fall for it, you know, over time. But I imagine we've got a 20,000 person organization you consistently have new employees that are being onboarded. I imagine the goal is that this is part of the onboarding process.
2: Yep. Yeah. So um, no matter how big or small the company, employees are always churning, coming in and coming out, new employees coming on. Um, besides that, there's also the regulations in place that are saying you must do this every year. So you have a policy <laughs> procedure saying that. Um, and then on top of all of that, the threats don't stop. So, Although what you see today may seem difficult to dodge, uh, wait until you see what's coming. And our goal is to keep building for the future of what's coming down the road and not the Nigerian print scams that we think are difficult to dodge. I mean, that's insane to think that that's a, a level of adequacy to, to measure someone on. We got to think of the things that are really difficult that are coming down the road. That's an interesting
0: point. It, it almost makes me think of, like, the action movie where they turn the criminal at the end to work with the FBI to help identify, you know, future threats. Like, how do you, as, you know, well-meaning corporate citizens, keep track of, like, the front lines of what a hacker could do that could be super destructive?
2: It's, uh, as funny as it is, people still fall for the Nigerian prince scam. And, and that's, I mean, we are literally, that's the equivalent of saying, uh, you're a senior executive coming into work at a fortune 500 and you can't read it's like that. You would laugh at that. You say, that's insane. There's no way I would have that person running my organization. So we need to really level up our competency uh, across the board. And we're kind of starting with baby steps here. In the platform, you have difficulty of scenarios. So you can do everything from, hey, you just got a uh, an Amazon box. It's just a plain text email with a link saying so click here. People still click on that. Um, the curiosity kills the cat. So we have to teach people to not use their email as a trampoline and to use email as a notification system to use critical thinking and apply that to, well, is this real? Let me go to the actual service or product and see if that's a real thing. Um, but This takes time. It takes an entire program and someone like us to be a regimen that is followed. And if you stop following that regimen, you lose results. So like you were saying is that, well, what if I'm successful and it's working really well? Well, that's like going to the gym, getting really pumped up and you're super strong. And then you just stop going to the gym and stop eating well. You know, the results will disappear and you'll be back to square one.
0: Well, I, I almost feel like we need this for the human race, right? Like, th- I mean, think about those so set aside companies. Okay. Think about all the teenagers out there with phones who just by simple lack of experience in the world, you know, they have not seen enough potential scams to understand what is a scam and what is not. Yep. Now, granted, you know, they probably have, you know, less access to sensitive information and in bank accounts than an adult would, but still very dangerous.
2: It's pretty sad when you um go through an experience and that's sometimes what it takes for us as humans to make a change in our lives. So after you get into a car accident and you're hurt severely and almost pass away from that accident, it changes your life for the better because now you're a safer person, you understand the risk. Same thing applies with all of this cyber stuff that we hear about. You keep hearing about it in the news, but until it happens to you personally, is when you actually make a significant change in your life. We try to become that story ahead of time so you don't have to have one of your own.
0: Yeah. So you moved down here from New Jersey primarily because your organization moved to Atlanta. Right. Um, but when you decided to start your own company, you chose to stay here. You didn't go back to the tri state area. Talk to me about why. What, what is it about Atlanta that you made? It made you think that it was, this is a good place to start a company.
2: Yeah. I mean, so it was here. I love the city. Uh, there's a lot of energy, met a lot of great people here. And I had a, a friend, Jeff, who's over in the Atlanta tech village. Um, and he said, Hey, you should come by. This is where I work. Okay. I, you know, came by one day, see people riding around on scooters and wearing t-shirts and stuff in the middle of the day. And I'm like, this is crazy. I mean, I'm wearing, you know, suit and tie every day and very formal cor- I call it corporate clowny. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, I come in and I see, well, this is what people do every day. This is what you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. This is their jobs. So I think that really opened my eye of capabilities of what I wanted out of my own life. And then ultimately fast forward a few years later, that's where we set up our
0: headquarters. And you recently had a uh, very successful experience at Venture Atlanta, didn't you?
2: Yes. Um, yes, we were on, uh, we bootstrapped our company from ground zero. So we, for five years, we ran off, you know, the Bank of Santora at the, the 401k. <laughs> And uh, we just built a real sustainable business solving a real problem, which a lot of companies just don't do. They just look for VC money and grow, grow, grow and um, hope for the best and wind up owning nothing of their company. So we had the exact opposite mentality uh, towards the uh, kind of middle of last year is when we realized that, well, I get it. I understand why people raise money in certain situations because it's almost like uh, walking to your destination versus jumping in an Uber. You can get there much quicker uh, with, you know, without sweating, you know, by getting to your to your end uh goal. So for us, we were kind of at this teeter-totter of, well, we know right now we just need to get salespeople on our team. We don't have any salespeople. And we are run a hundred percent on inbound leads only, hundreds and hundreds coming in every month without any sales team. So we kind of recognize the problem of, well, we need to grow our resources dramatically if we want to grow this company. And Um, That's when we went out in the market. We went to Venture Atlanta, went on the ATDC road trip to New York to Boston. I met face-to-face with almost 60 VCs, um, as well as the hundreds, if not thousands that have seen us in conversation, ultimately landing on the right partner because we had a lot of leverage in our conversation. We knew who we wanted to partner with. Um, So ultimately we landed with RCP Equity, which is a a group that was recently founded because they sold their business app river last year for about 275 million. They bootstrapped that company. So it was, uh, exciting for us to see another person that's kind of been in our shoes and wanted to help out uh, again. So we could not be happier to land the group that we landed with.
0: That's a great success story. Um, so if anyone listening wants to learn more about curricula, how do they get in touch with you?
2: They can uh, email me, nick at getcurricula.com or just go to our website, getcurricula.com.
0: Okay. Great, Nick. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Mark, how you I'm, doing?
1: I'm good. I'm needing to go back home and delete that email from the Nigerian prince.
0: <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll bet a lot of people have just stopped listening altogether and are scrambling on their phone right now. <laughs> you know, we tried to educate. So... uh. You know, your organization has had a number, um, of billboards around the city that I imagine people have seen throughout the years. You know, a lot of the organizations that we have on are very firmly in the B2B world. And you are certainly straddled the line between B2C and B2B. And we're going to get into that. But someone who's been driving along 85 and seeing your billboards, what, uh, but doesn't really understand what roadie does. Can you give him a quick headline? Sure. So Rody is like crowdsource delivery. It's like Uber
1: for stuff. So we match up big enterprises, small businesses and regular consumers with stuff to send with drivers that are already heading in the right direction. And we do it all over the country. We've got over 150,000 drivers. We've delivered in 90% of the U S. And, um, we've been doing it, I guess, for around five years now, too, since we launched the app. We're about to come out with a brand new app and, uh, work with corporate partners, everybody from Delta to, um, Home Depot, Walmart, Tractor Supply, all the airlines actually delivering everything from lost bags to groceries to stuff you buy online on retail
0: and deliver to the end consumer. Interesting. So in the, in the lost bag example, I get to my destination. Um, airline has lost my bag. I can either wait around and file a complaint and wait for hours. Um, you know, I can go to my hotel. I might have to go back to the airport when the bag ultimately arrives. In your scenario, your driver's partner with Delta and someone who's coming the way of the airport picks it up and basically just brings it to the person wherever their final destination might be. Is that the gist of it?
1: That is. I mean, historically, it's taken six, eight, ten hours, three days later, as most of us know, to get their bags with no visibility to it. We've really unlocked that process and used the community at the airport. So the pilots, the passengers, the flight attendants, the bag handlers, the guy that works at Hertz, the lady that works at Burger King, this whole community of people constantly at the airport they're leaving and going to the same neighborhoods and communities where you live, where your hotel is, and bringing your bag a lot faster. Right now, we cover nearly 75 airports around the country with Delta alone, and that's not even including all the other airlines we work with. And bags are getting delivered in usually sub-two hours, and that includes San Francisco, Phoenix, Charlotte, Atlanta, Orlando. But what's cool about the crowdsource network is it also includes Eugene, Oregon, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Savannah, yeah. Georgia, and smaller towns that don't necessarily have an NFL team, but this crowdsource community can also thrive.
0: Well, that, that really is the power of an organization that, you know, takes advantage of that network effect, whether it's, you know, a, a roadie and Airbnb and Uber that you can get that critical mass in or in, you know, outside of top 15 metros. You know, places where people wouldn't normally have access to these sort of, you know, immediate on-demand type of services. But when you put it in the hands of the everyday consumer, um, it just completely opens up the uh, geographies in which you're able to be effective. Yeah, we we took a different approach
1: than the Ubers and Lyfts that have sort of uh, spent an awful lot and many billions of dollars to do it. Um, I appreciate Nick's bootstrap. I wish we'd been able to do it quite like that, but we've spent a hell of a lot less than most have uh, doing it. But we didn't go with this core market approach of, you know, with, with Uber and Lyft, you had uh they came in with some money and they hired drivers to be at the ready and then they went to the, the the hotels and got the business people to go to the airports and then they went to the bars and got the drunks to go home. And with that, you just sort of propped up in a market. With us, we've gone to the Walmarts and to the Home Depots and the Delts and said, where do you want us? And we go there and we'd rather get paid to get deliverable because we're going to be deliverable in all the places i like to say we're about 107 years behind UPS, and we're doing pretty good if we already hit 90% of the country.
0: (laughs) Touche. So so is this new version of the app where you are working specifically with corporates, is that live yet? It's not um, specifically for corporates. We've
1: just listened to our drivers for five years of what's going on in the app, how to make that experience better for them, how to combined gigs, how to better understand from, you know, the initial founding story of Rody where someone's going anyway. So if we do our job right, we are going to delightfully interrupt your day at that perfect moment where you can make money doing what you were already going to do anyway.
0: And so in this um, use case, I'm driving to an errand across town. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'm going from my house in the fourth ward to the Alpharetta because that's where the store I need to go to is. And there's a pickup that someone needs on the way going north in Sandy Springs, and a drop off about a mile from the store. Now, for one of them going to, I stop, I pick up the item, and I bring it to a destination that is nearby where I'm already going, and I get paid for it. You do. It's changed delivery from
1: the cost of going from point A to point B to the frictional uh, cost of you going a mile
0: outside of where you were going to go anyway. In your example, you you mentioned a term that you know I know that you use internally when we talked. You know, um, initially, you use the term gig. Um, explain to everyone what exactly you mean when you say gig. Sure, and it's kind of funny because the
1: gig economy has gotten to become better known vernacular. It wasn't when we started using gigs. So, roadie, you know, roadies are the the people that safely take care of touring bands and get their instruments wrapped up and safely from town to town or from gig to gig. So, going from gig to gig is simply what a delivery is. In this case, it might not be taking uh, a rock band stuff from Atlanta to Charlotte. It might be picking up your drill at Home Depot and bringing it to you in Alpharetta. It might be going into leaving the airport after you get off a flight and taking a bag to your neighbor three mm-hmm. doors down. And the, the added benefit of this is it's not just a faceless delivery company. It's people in your community. You're actually helping people in that community. How, one of my favorite stories with Delta is um there's a ticket agent named Felipe who's in San Francisco. And I was checking in one day and I always um kind of chatty, so I asked him. He knew about Rody. He was like, oh, I love Rody. I said, why is that? He said, well, I live in San Jose, and once or twice a week, I pick up a bag and take it down there. So Felipe gets paid for going home once or twice a week. Pays for his gas, pays for his lunch that week. He thinks Delta's great because of it, and the end customer actually gets sort of a combined experience because he already works there anyway, so everybody wins.
0: Um, You know, I have seen some Let's say criticism, and this is your, your, your model is a little bit different, but in our world, we want everything yesterday. Okay. And we've been conditioned that that's okay because we have a lot of organizations that have, um, filled that need and made lots of money off it, right? Whether it's we want our, you know, Amazon box now in one day as opposed to two days, whether it's, you know, we want our Uber driver to pick us up within two minutes instead of five minutes. Um and it, and it has made our lives better, right? I don't think that anyone wants to go back to the world in which we didn't have immediate gratification. It's it's almost shocking to think even five years ago, right, that this debt debt doesn't exist. But I know from an urban planning standpoint, there's been a lot of criticism about more vehicles on the road, crowding cities, crowding neighborhoods, the deliveries, Uber, Lyft. And I understand you are completely different from the Uber and Lyft model, but um, this is still, you know people's vehicles that are, you know, delivering in an immediate manner. And so not necessarily as it relates to roadie, but I'm curious about your thoughts in general on as we continue to um, want things now, what that does to our cities in terms of traffic and if that's a good or a bad thing or if it can be solved. I think it can be
1: solved and it's often one thing that's forgotten about within roadie. We're on a path. Our North Star is on the way delivery everywhere, and to, but to do that, you've got to get, you know, all the cities deliverable or our big companies aren't going to use you. Then you got to get active, and engaged drivers in those cities to do stuff. And to do that, you've got to feed them a base load of demand, which is why we've gone after the clients yep. back to what you're saying. Um, yeah, all, I've seen a national transportation highway association, um, um, study that says there's could be up to 60% more, um, trucks on the road to fill and satiate this desire for us getting our things freer and faster inside the next 15, 20 years. Where are cars going to go? Why not use the resources that are out there? Sometimes when I think about roadie, I mean, there's it's very green and sustainable play because you're essentially using this natural resource that already exists. There's 250 million passenger vehicles. You, me, and everybody else that hit the road every single day. Four billion cubic feet of excess capacity that hits the road every single day. More vehicles in UPS, FedEx, the post office, and every courier that you can slap together combined. What, why would you not use an asset like that? And I mean, that's how roadies start is we just simply ask the question, what would happen if you put some of that wasted space to use? But is a journey to do it? So the idea is over time, more and more, you know, it's less side hustle people that are doing it and more people that are heading to work or heading to the baseball game or, yeah. or, or, or leaving the airport because they just landed or finished their job there.
0: So so that definitely is an interesting solution, right? You take advantage of all of the, you know, this vehicle that we have that usually only has one person in it um, and has excess space, right? So there's already a car on the road. It's going somewhere anyway. Why not use it? Love that solution, right? For larger items, right? I mean, there's still, you know, I feel like I read every couple of weeks, you know, new organization put a million square foot warehouse within 30 miles of the city to satiate the demand that you and I are talking about. At the end of the day, You know, yes, people's personal vehicles fill some of that, but is there a way to tap into trucks and larger vehicles that are already going in one direction and might have excess capacity um, in the future as well? Sure. We already
1: do that. I mean, in, in Ray, the cool thing is we've got everything from Priuses to pickup trucks. So we can take cars, keys to couches, depending on what you need. I mean, once you get over a certain thing, you're using LTL and and freight carriers, but the flexibility of the model is, you know, we can go longer distances because you go long long distances for the airlines, we deliver up to 70 miles for, um, or even for small businesses for, uh, for sizing, as you're pointing out, if you can do everything from a box truck to a small vehicle, you know, you've got a lot of variety in items you can send. And typically they're smaller items that you don't need to send on other things. We've gotten to the point, and Amazon sort of forces some brick and mortar retailers. I don't need my toothpaste in an hour, but why not? <laughs> if it's available yeah. and, and, and people tend to do that. And, you know, brick and mortar retailers have the advantage of actually having stores closer to their c- customers, you know, with a larger variety of products than, than Amazon might have. They need to use that ground game advantage to sort of take back the upper hand against, uh, the e-commerce provider in Seattle that everybody is sort of trying to catch up to. Sure. It's not even speed. It's optionality. It's, it's, it's figuring out that. Some days I might want that chair delivered tonight because I have a party going on, and sometimes I might want it on Saturday morning because that's when I'm going to be home. It's uh, it's very akin if you want to Netflix when it started out. Sure. When if you remember, would you ever get the DVDs oh, yeah. uh, when they came and, and then they switched to streaming? It wasn't popular. Um, it took a while. They put Cheers and Friends and all these shows on there, and they gave optionality of content, and then you created the binge watchers. Everybody wanted Netflix and chill. There was stuff there to actually do. Um, e-commerce providers have known this forever. That's why they've always offered, like, you know, ground, or you can go with two day if you need it there faster and you're willing to pay more. And I think that's what retailers are figuring out. People are getting where they can pick it up in the store. They'll ship from store to skip zones and make it get to customers faster, or they'll have it delivered with folks like Rody, which is what people like Home Depot and Tractor Supply and a lot of other big companies do.
0: Absolutely. Look, I, I think we're all. We all enjoy the world that we're living in now I do feel that we're getting to a place where no one has any sort of incentive to try and plan ahead for anything and, and certainly we people have emergencies right people have things they need immediately. Um, we've just all gotten extremely impatient.
1: You, you'd be surprised though I, I I do feel that in the sense of in sort of you know oh my gosh my, my first world problems are so so much and I get the thing you said with my kids but a few weeks ago I was going to Athens for an event. And, um, on the way there with my COO, CMO, my kids were in the car and there was a Walmart gig and we deliver for Walmart in over 10 States It's groceries. So I was like, let's just do this gig on the way there. So we roll up in my expedition to the Walmart in Athens, um, and pick up a ton of groceries, take them to the small apartment as we're heading into town. And there's a lady named Lisa there. And I asked her, I was just helpful. Do you like it? And Lisa's like, it, it. We can't live without it, and know what do you mean? She goes, well, I'm legally blind my um my uh father is disabled and lives here with me. My husband's the only one that works, and without that, this is saving our lives. this is not solving you know some minor convenience no. it's almost impossible for me to go get the store so in all of the you know bringing my toothpaste in an hour it's Really refreshing to go out there and see how you're helping real people with these these products and services. That, that that's a
0: fantastic story, and also fantastic that you, as the CEO, are actually practicing what you preach and taking on gigs. um I was going that way
1: anyway. I can make an extra ten bucks. Uh, Why not? I,
0: I know. And, and look that that is look. It's just take the compliment. It's good. <laughs> um Yeah, you know that is that actually points to something interesting that I've been thinking about a lot as we think about how our cities support, um, a changing population and specifically an aging population. So what I fear, all right, you, you have a trend where you have those who can afford it, right? You know, baby boomers who, who are selling their suburban house and often moving to a much more expensive, but smaller place in the city that has now become more desirable to live. Okay. But you have a lot of baby boomers who have no savings whatsoever who are forced into the suburbs and exurbs, and increasingly they will not be able to get around in their vehicle and will have no other way to get around because they're poor public transportation. And what something like Rhodey could do for them that it did for this woman, Lisa, that you encountered? Oh, absolutely. It's
1: um, For a number of years in between doing a couple of the companies I did, I took care of my grandmother for seven years. The idea of making food at my house and being able to send it over to her without having to do the drive every day or something, much easier. One of the one of the use cases Rody does for small businesses, we uh, do pharmacy delivery. So to to end consumers and also to long term care facilities, any time of day, we're open twenty four seven, taking it there. And, and a lot of these people, you know, can't get out, or it's harder to get out. There's all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, a lot of time, there's uh, uh, you know, older folks will have animals as companionship if they don't have anybody living with them. Kind of a pain in the ass to get those dogs to the vet and to get them groomed. Um, there's all sorts of use cases that are not, um, you know, sort of, uh, these first world problems, but are real when you have an aging population and they need to get things from point to point.
0: I I think that's very illuminating. Um, that's why I like digging deeper into this so that you can get at that. And And I think what, what makes me feel very good about this new gig economy that we're in is that I think I'm seeing a level of trust among strangers that I thought had left. Um I think we live in a world now in which, yes, we are more connected than ever, but really we are more segmented than ever. Um, you can go a long time without talking to a stranger, whether it's because you don't have to leave your house or you just have your earbuds in, whatever it is. And the fact that we all now put ourselves out there, uh, whether it's on Roadie, whether it's on Airbnb, um, whether it's uh, you know, on uh you know like a TaskRabbit type website to have strangers do things for us and just trust that it's going to work out. You know, yes, there is a you know small percentage where there are issues caused, but it, it gives me a little bit more hope and humanity that we're all willing to blindly put ourselves out there and have reasonable certainty that it's going to work out with a stranger helping us. There's definitely a group of
1: technology, and we talked about this early on. Rhodey's like, you know, it's delivery, but it's got a little southern hospitality in there because yeah. you can meet up. Um we've done partnerships with Waffle House, so you can actually meet up at a Waffle House and get a free waffle and cup of coffee when you do it. But we see exactly what you're talking about. Think about Amazon. You can buy stuff sitting in your underwear at your kitchen table, you never have to go see anybody in a store. I don't know about your bank, but mine has like virtual tellers up where you don't even yet to talk to real people. This actually brings people out into the real world to to see and talk with each other and have connections. And I could go on for hours with stories of drivers that have met people on the road, you know, taking anything from a microwave to an 86 year old woman where the driver lived in Reston, Virginia and did it to a seven foot tall Jar Jar Binks going from Colorado to LA because why don't you need one?
0: (laughs) Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the amount of use case and entertaining stories you have, I imagine would fill up an entire other show. Um, well, look, I'm, I'm glad we've kind of dug deeper into what people might have passed at a, um, at a billboard and not known much about. So, uh, Mark, if a customer like you or I, or if a corporate wants to learn more about Roadie, how do they do that? Uh, they can reach me at mg at R-O-A-D-I-E
1: dot com. And if you want to be a driver, you can just go on to the Apple App Store or Google Play and download Roadie Driver. Brand new app will be out in a month, but you can get a sneak peek at it now. And just so you know, the billboard is going to be changing up here in about a month. So we're going to have a, a new, uh, a whole new, uh, shtick that we'll be putting up there, encouraging everybody to
0: roadie it. Very cool. And, and I can, I, I have looked at the app and kind of tested out the geography and things around me. And I can vouch for the fact that it is very easy to use and you can make some good, quick money off of it. Mark, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Jerry. Sure. Okay. Vigil, how you been over there?
3: Hey, how you doing, Jerry?
0: Good. So one of um you know one of the reasons that i thoroughly enjoy the show is you know we get to explore a bunch of different types of technologies but the thing that i'm excited about with you is that you work for an organization that supplies technology that we use every single day mm-hmm. um and that people completely take for granted i think um it just it works in the background um and you know without it i think that we'd all be a little bit more frustrated with our immediate uh, Need for media gratification. Yes, indeed. So tell me, a, just high level, what Cinemedia does, and then we're going to kind of back up and talk about your journey there and what you're looking to accomplish.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. Um, Cinemedia operates behind the scenes. Anybody who's in the industry, in the media industry, knows Cinemedia. Um, we provide, um, like anybody who brings content to viewers, so folk watch TV, either on their iPhones or on on, on um TVs, um, streaming video on demand or analog directly, behind the scenes, somebody's created that content, and Cinemedia brings that content to the viewer, and all distributors, telcos need to be able to have a platform to distribute that um, content, need security behind that content, need to provide the services, and more importantly, need the network, so satellites, broad, broadband, and IP. So we provide all of that end-to-end. Okay. And you
0: recently came on, I think in the past year or so, as the new CFO, correct? It's been six months. Six months. Feels like a year. (laughs) Wow. I didn't realize it was that short of a time. Okay. So, and you came from a very different type of product.
3: That's right. So my journey in technology has been 20 years from IBM and then working slowly into different industries. And so I worked at Hot Schedules here in Alpharetta. and it was a great journey with hot schedules in a, in a totally different industry into the hospitality industry. Um, we traded out hot schedules April last year, and the headquarters moved to austin and I was really fortunate to find my ideal um uh, role here at at Cine Media, a, a global company in total distress coming out from cisco We'll talk about that a bit later on, yeah. but with the headquarters in London, where my family are, I can probably tell from my accent a little bit. Um, and the U.S. headquarters here in Lawrenceville, Atlanta, and I, and I love Atlanta, so was, everything was perfect.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, and I am curious to get into the Cisco side of things because, um, I, I, I think that stories of organizations in flux is an interesting one. Um, it's a challenge. It can be stressful, I imagine, but, um, it's a opportunity to make your mark. And so, you have an organization that was recently spun off from Cisco, you know, obviously, you know, extremely well known, uh, you know, large, you know, fortune, I assume fortune 500, if not fortune 1000 at the very least. Um, and so you, you have still with Cinemedia, a very, uh, you know, large organization as well. But I imagine it might sometimes feel like you're part of a startup because this is really kind of the first time it's been on its own out of the nest, so to speak.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. So. Prior to Cisco, most, most folk may know NDS, um, as one of the companies that Cisco bought together with Scientific Atlanta based out of them mm-hmm. in Lawrenceville. So Cisco acquired both those very mature com- companies, bought them together under Cisco. And then, you know, f- a few years later, spun that out as Cinemedia. And so essentially like a 30 year old company, unlike my colleagues here earlier today. And, um, we've got all the mature processes and, and depth of customers, large customers globally, but it feels like a startup because we came out with no infrastructure, no IT infrastructure, no CRM, ERP. Um, basically, Cisco said, here you go, go set yourself up from scratch, right? <laughs> so it's like a 30-year-old man coming on the streets with nothing on and saying, hey, how do I set up myself for success? Um, yeah, That's the challenge we had for the last year and a half.
0: So, so what have you been spending much of your time on the past six months?
3: So the key goal here was to um, get divorced from Cisco as quickly as possible. So they provided some transitional services. So Mm -hmm. the first goal was to stand up the company. So we have um, a great infrastructure now put in place, although it's in in its infancy. The next goal was to stabilize the company. Mm -hmm. So take a look at our IT infrastructure. We provide mission-critical software to our telcos and broadcasters and providers so that your viewing experience is seamless. And so we need to make sure all of the infrastructure in our business was set up, but with the primary focus on our Customers, um, and then the next part of our, our growth phase will be around growing the company and helping our customers grow their revenues. you will be keeping an eye on the news around what's going on in the um, in the industry, and we want to t- stay two steps ahead. Whether that's switching from analog viewing to streaming video on demand, to security and the importance of security, as we heard earlier, um, and protecting your content. Um, so, Cinemedia's role is to stay two steps a- ahead of what's going on in the industry and provide our customers a way to continue to help them grow their revenues as well.
0: Well, and I imagine everyone and their mother now getting into the screaming games certainly helps mm-hmm. that.
3: Oh, yes. I mean, there's certainly, the industry's transforming. It started transforming about five years ago um, and with Net- Netflix coming on board and then Apple TV, Disney just launched its own channel. So over the top, is certainly changing the way um, the pay TV industry is moving. The pay TV industry is evolving to include the over-the-top solutions so you may now buy a bundle which includes your broadband plus over-the-top to try and make it easier for the consumer to search for the content that they want to see you don't want to go and search 15 different you know over-the-top providers you'd rather like hit a button and say find me that movie and it will go and search across your entire base and say yeah yes. i found it it's here it's in amazon prime or it's in netflix
0: one of the better jokes i heard recently is that the um, the best show to watch on netflix
3: is someone <laughs> searching for 40 minutes for what to watch on Netflix. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Um, no, I mean, like, honestly, I think if you think um, four, five to ten years, the industry will have transformed completely. Um, and we're going to help those broadcasters, especially large U.S. telcos, um, with that transformation.
0: Well, and this is the um, – there's no way that I'm the only one who does this, right? This is the struggle. You wonder if a movie or a show is on a streaming platform. You – as opposed to going to all those that you have and scrolling across and typing it in awkwardly you go to google and you figure out where it is but then that doesn't do it sometimes and right. you know more
3: times than none you either you just end up dropping it that's right and so some of our um especially US broadcasters who are leading edge on this will have a pay bundle for you and they'll include the over the top solutions in their pay bundle and i enjoy that with the with the provider that i have press the voice button on my remote and say find me this movie and it'll give me all the options, whether it's free or I have to pay for it, and then I just click a button and start watching. You know, one of the more interesting
0: technologies that I learned that that your company is behind when we first spoke about this is, and again, this is what I love. This right, we have so many things in our lives that we just don't know, we don't even think about them. But when you pause a show on one television and you go into another TV and start it back up, yeah. the fact that we are just so spoiled to have thought that it's just. Magic that, and it does seem like magic that it does that, but that's your technology.
3: Yeah, that brings chills to me all the time. When I think about the complexity of what needs to happen so that you're watching a movie in, in the basement of your house, you pause that, you get on a plane, you float, fly to another country, you might start watching that movie immediately on your iPhone and there's zero latency. You just immediately picks up from where it goes and it feels like magic, but the technology behind that is super impressive and complex to imagine that the 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 distribution on your TV on your 4K TV at home is different in terms of the media format for your iPhone, but everything happens behind the scenes that it becomes a seamless experience for you as a user.
0: Yeah, it's just unbelievable. That and also the the uh, the one I thought was additionally very cool is when um you know now uh on the scene right you know the the scene you can scroll up and you see the actors. That's right. Right, and and the fact that it's not only is the information there. But it changes scene by scene, right? It, it it
3: identifies who the actor is in every different scene. Absolutely, there's so much innovation that goes on with our R and D teams here in, in in Lawrenceville, as well as across our development centers in Jerusalem, in Bangalore, to make the user experience as good as possible. And we work with the content providers to do that, and the telcos because everybody's trying to find a differentiation point here. The imp- more importantly, how do we make life really easy for the um User and that space keeps innovating from the swim lanes that you see on your screen. If you watch too many action movies with a particular actor or actress, then that becomes your top mm-hmm. preferred pick. We write all the algorithms behind the scenes that we, we allow them broadcasters to dial those algorithms up or down to differentiate for their consumer base. Um, and we'll continue innovating. It's, fu- it's a fun world to be in.
0: So I'm, I'm curious as to the, the breadth of your universe, right? So when we're talking to Nick about curricula and the organizations that that technology can apply to, it's a very, very wide universe. Not every, you know, there is a, there is a limited number of media organizations and those that are in the, you know, streaming and content game. So. Am I correct in assuming that your universe is a relatively small one, but one where you are obviously trying to have the most depth and impact
3: as possible, right? It's not, yes. it's not like you have a massive sales team out there. Yeah. yeah. Now we have a very well established customer base already. Um, and we continue to acquire new customers as they come on and get to a certain size and scale where it really matters that you've got. Low latency that you've mm-hmm. got security of the content that somebody spent billions of dollars making a movie and then you're, you're securing that movie all the way through the channels because the moment that movie gets out there and is pirated has no value sure. because then anybody can watch it for free and it has no value for the guy who produced the movie nor does it have value for the content provider who bought those movie rights or for those original content um, providers nowadays. So you see Apple and Disney, Netflix all, um, Making their own content, they spend a hundred billion dollars a year making their own content, and they need to secure that and provide that in a safe way and we help them to do that, yeah, so you mentioned a number
0: of different locations in which you have offices that mm-hmm. range from here in Atlanta to Israel to the u k um, how is this legacy Cisco that you you know you had offices there, and so that is just kind of how it's always been? was there a strategic reason? for talent in those organizations,
3: actually, uh, in countries? Yeah, it was um, pre-Cisco, actually. So okay. um, NDS Scientific Atlanta had um, built these centers. Um, and the centers like in Jerusalem built for their innovation, their thought leadership in this space, in Bangalore as well. Um, Scientific Atlanta had their center here in, in Atlanta where you can access a lot of talent. Um, so those are strategic decisions made way before the Cisco days. And we've taken, I've taken a fresh look coming in as the incoming CFO. What, what should our facilities landscape look like? What should our heads, head headcount look like across the company? And really, we've got the best locations from Costa Mesa on the west coast of, um, of America all the way to, um, Hong Kong and China as well. So mm-hmm. we've picked locations. Also, we've got to be in certain geographies to reduce the latency we talk about. So mm-hmm. to provide excellent services within the the various regions that we operate in. Got it.
0: Okay. Um, I'm I'm also interested in how you build a culture across all those different geographies, especially with, you know, you're already building a culture with this organization being, as you said, a 30-year-old man pushed out onto the street. (laughs) Um, But also you're
3: bringing together very different cultures from around the world. I think there are multiple cultural challenges in the company that I've, I've observed. So you've got the old NDS culture, um, you know, came to market in a very fast-paced um period where there was a lot of innovation. You had Scientific Atlanta highly acquisitive as well, totally different culture. Combine that with the Cisco culture on top when both companies were were bought. Um, really cash-rich companies at this point in time when Cisco sold to the media were PE backed, um, slightly different environment to what they've used they were used to before. Um uh, so, trying to be more frugal, think about the debt we've taken on to try and grow cinema media and mm. and become the best that we can, uh, together with all the the geographies around the world. And how do we bring a a unified cinema media culture, but still respect and enjoy the the various regionalization that happens um, around the world? Sure. H- how much of your time is spent traveling to different offices as opposed to here in Atlanta? <laughs> so, I spend about I try to spend two weeks in in Atlanta every month, and okay. then two to three weeks wherever the company needs me to be. Sure. So, so. A lot of travel at the moment, but I'm still on a voyage of discovery. Are you,
0: are there acquisitions on the horizon or right now you're really focused on let's, you know, make this organization as is the best it can be. Do
3: you know, there are, there are lots of companies would love to tuck in. Yeah. Um, my main goal right now is to stabilize the company so that when we do go on our acquisitive path, we're able to plug and play in. So that's my background. I can think about operational effectiveness as a CFO in the tech industry. What does good look like? So I have a clear line of sight of what I want um, to achieve within CineMedia from an infrastructure perspective and then go on to the um, inorganic growth strategy and, and know that we can absorb that. I'm curious from a talent
0: perspective. Um, we're talking about very complex technologies, right? You know, the, the technology that it takes and research and development that it takes to understand how to reduce that latency. Um, I can't imagine is something that, you know, a young coder out of Georgia Tech while they probably have the, the smarts, the capability, have a ton of experience with, how do you go and find people who are right for your very, very
3: specific type of technological needs? So this is a, uh, an immediate problem that we're facing. So if you look across our engineering teams and our service delivery teams, we have a lot of tenure, a lot. Like Once you're in this industry, you love it and you stay for a long, long time. The challenge that we now have is how do we bring in fresh talent, both in our dev centers as well as here in Atlanta, and help them, uh, young developers find the right niche within CineMedia and help them grow their talent. Um, so you're right, Joe. We're going to, um, have some more early in career, uh, opportunities and we still need to establish a, a career path for these folk inside a very mature company that's still innovating, but f- innovating on solutions that are well known and well trodden, uh, on a well trodden path. Sure. And, and, and look, I imagine that. As someone who runs
0: an organization, it is nice to not have a ton of turnover in the folks that make your technology possible. But yes, at a certain point, the bill comes due and yeah. you've got to
3: find someone to take their place. That's exactly right. And to be honest, um, there are new applications and technologies out there today that we could still take advantage of. And mm-hmm. we had, you know, two, two folk here in have been in the industry for five years, bringing some very cool innovation to, to market. And I feel that when we bring in graduates from Georgia, you know any of the Georgia universities or in Jerusalem or in Bangalore that they're bringing with them you know what's going on new and fresh in the industry, and some new ideas is what we need to help us keep, continue to stay ahead of the industry, continue to stay ahead of our security requirements um and also to be in tune with what the market needs and I feel like that um, thought leadership will continue to get renewed as we hire good top talents into our organization well so if if someone out there
0: is um talent looking um, or just someone who has found this technology fascinating and wants to learn more about it? How do they get in touch with you?
3: Well, we um, encourage folk to go onto cinemedia.com um, as a first place to look in and understand what we do as a business. We have all our job postings up there as well, all around the world. Um, and of course they can always reach out to me at bpatel at com. And just to clarify for everyone, cinemedia is not spelled how you think it
0: would be. Okay. It is S Y N A. Yep. S-Y-N-A-M-E-D-I-A. That's right. Vigil, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joey. And everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Tech Talk. Have a great day.